The Source of Truth is an audio recording of Pastor Ronnie Love sharing Christian encouragement and biblical truth. We hope this podcast can help make your path a bit brighter today. Psalms 119.105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Welcome back, my friends. Thanks again for joining us again today as we take a couple more minutes today to examine God's Word, which is a source of truth, and we're glad you're with us and hope that these uh, few moments together will be an encouragement and a help to you. Uh, If you're following along with us in Scripture, we are in the book of Matthew, chapter 27. Uh, It's going to be a bit of a longer section of Scripture than normal, uh, just due to the context. I believe uh, this one whole section kind of goes together. Again, a very familiar section of scriptures. What we'll do is I'm just going to kind of walk through it a few verses at a time, and we'll discuss it, and then... Um I'm sure in usually 10 to 12 minutes what we usually do, so in that time we'll be able to cover it. Uh, But we're in Matthew 27, and beginning in verse 11, the Bible says, Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus said to him, You have said so. When he was accused by the chief priests and elders, he gave no answer. And Pilate said to him, Do you not hear how many things I testify against you? But he never answered him a word, so that the governor was greatly amazed. So Pilate's there, and he's, they're bringing it to him. And here's the thing to remember. They wanted a crucifixion. Uh, part of the issue was they did not want to follow Jewish law. If it had been Jewish law, and he had done what he's supposed to, technically should have been stoned. They wanted him to be to be killed through Roman law. Rome was the overseeing governance at the time, so it was a simple answer. Um, And Rome implemented its rules. And so multiple times in this process, the Romans like, I don't want anything to do with this. And it went back and forth. And so Pilate's there, and they're finally coming to him, asking him for capital punishment, the, the worst punishment you can offer. And this was not just death. This was a brutal beating. You were hanging at the cross. There's just so many of the things Uh, going on with that. And yet Pilate's over there like, I can't figure out what's going on. The one thing you're going to realize Pilate's going to catch on to is the fact that this is a crowd. A crowd's going to create a riot. This is their Messiah. This has really nothing to do with Rome at all. And so, but in this process, he asks this intriguing question to Jesus. He says, um, do you not hear how many things I testify against you? Do you not realize the accusations against you? And Jesus never said a word. Now, the reason Jesus never said a word is Jesus knew that the reason he was there was to go to the cross. And if lies had to be stated for the purpose of him to get to the cross, then that was that was the way it needed to be done. And so he just remained silent because he wasn't there to defend himself. He had done nothing wrong. He was there as the spotless lamb to go to the cross. And so please remember that while all this was happening, and it was a sham court, and it was a lie, and all these things are happening, please remember in that entire process, this was God's plan. None of this was a surprise. Jesus knew this was all coming. It's intriguing that Pilate was amazed. He just sat in amazement. What what is about this man? Why is he not defending himself? Now, it's intriguing as this happened. We go on to verse 15. Now, at the feast, the governor was accustomed to releasing to the people a prisoner whom they chose. Uh, they They had then a notorious prisoner called Barabbas. So when they had gathered together, uh, Pilate said to them, whom do you want me to release to you, Barabbas or Jesus, who is called Christ? For they knew, for he knew that they handed him out, um, for, I'm sorry, for he knew that they handed him out of envy, so, or hated him out, handled him out of envy. So what you look at this is a normal practice at this feast that he would release one. A lot of times it was a show of grace and reverence, and they would let one person go. Uh, and so they came, and he, what he did is he brings up this 
this this criminal, I mean, this is a, a serious criminal. He committed massive crimes, hurt a lot of people, deserved to be where he was. And so when Pilate brings him before the people, to him it just makes complete sense. Well, there's no way they're going to let this criminal go and keep Jesus. They only brought him here out of envy. They only brought him here because they don't like him. He, he's a nuisance to their system. He hasn't done anything wrong. What group of moral people and the Jewish people claim to be the moral people? I mean, especially to the Romans. I'm sure the Romans were criticized often by the Jewish people for their barbaric actions towards things. And so he goes to these moral claiming people. He goes, he's done nothing wrong. What are you doing? And of course, he's surprised by this. Verse 19, when he was sitting on the judgment seat, his wife sent word to him, have nothing to do with that righteous man, for I have suffered much today in a dream on account of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to kill Jesus. The governor asked, which of the two do you want me to release to you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate said to them, then what shall I do with Jesus who is called Christ? They all said to him, let him be crucified. Catch this, verse 23. The governor said, why, what evil has he done? Now, a couple of things here. He sits down in judgment. This is the normal thing. One of the men were going to be released or one of the criminals was going to be released. And he asks, and as is happening, someone sends, his, his wife comes up, or his wife sends somebody to say that I've had dreams of him, visions of him. He's a righteous man, let him go. For whatever reason, Pilate chose not to do it. And obviously, Pilate, could not be known to be making its decisions based upon the dreams and visions of his wife. But the QC is there's so many things coming to Pilate. He, he notices this, there's something different about, about Pilate. The Jewish people, the moral group of people supposedly are willing to kill a man for, for nothing. He's done nothing wrong. And so there's so many things going on, but Pilate comes to the realization that this is not normal. These people want it. It doesn't really matter to him, at least in his mind. He just doesn't want to ride. He doesn't want to have to deal with these, in his mind, probably unruly, annoying Jews. He just, he just wants to deal with this, and that's probably what's going through his mind. So in verse 24, when Pilate saw that he could not prevail, but rather that unrest was beginning, a, a, a riot was about to take place, he took water and washed his hands before the crowd, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this righteous man. See it, see to it yourself. So Pilate does the customary thing where he whitewashes his hands. And the idea was that while he was the one allowing Jesus to be crucified, he wasn't the one asking for it. He was just kind of allowing the crowd to have what they wanted. He didn't want the ride. It wasn't worth it. In his mind, they had a lot of, you know, they had their own religion, very different than the Roman beliefs. And so in his mind, it's like, this is just another Jew, and he's claim, he you know, claims to be the Messiah, but it's just another religious guy. Not worth the chaos that it's going to ensue. Not worth the potential of his men maybe being killed or other people being killed or having to imprison more people. And all of the chaos that is going to come with this potential riot, no doubt, Pilate's like, it's not worth it. So he washes his hands a bit with the idea of, listen, I'm not going to be guilty of his blood. You do it yourself. See to it. Go, go do it yourself. Now, the thing to remember is, as, you know, to whom much is given, much is required, he was the leader. Yes, he ultimately would be accountable and ultimately have some grief as a result of making that decision. But he does make this decision, and he steps out of the way thinking he can solve this problem, and he hands them back over to the Jewish people who just, they were just, the chief priests had lifted him up. And because why? 
They thought he was coming as the Messiah. He was going to throw off Rome, solve the problem. He didn't do that, so they were done with this. If you're not going to be the Messiah, if you're Jesus, you're not going to do what I want, I don't want you here. That's a simple principle that happens a lot, right? If Jesus doesn't do things the way we want, then we want nothing to do with Jesus. It's just not the way it works. It's the way culture has wanted with God since the beginning of culture, but it's not the way it works. It's not like, God, this is what I want. If you give it to me, great. If not, get out of here. That's not the way this works. God is God. He is holy. He is sovereign. We are the subordinates. We are under him. And either we allow, and we either put ourselves under him and we embrace it, enjoy the blessings of that, or we fight him. But there's no in-between there. And that has just been the practice has been forever. So here's what happens. Um, verse 25, then all the people answered, his blood be on us and our children. Think about what they're saying. If this is truly the Messiah, his blood, the consequence of all this is on us, our children. That's a pretty big thing to put on the children, if you, to be honest with you. Verse 26, then he released Barabbas to them. But when he had scourged Jesus, he handed him over to be crucified. Now, that verse right there, when it talks about being scourged, is pretty much, there's not a whole lot of detail in this time to talk about what the scourging would be. Uh, the scourging would be a breakdown of, he would be uh, beaten with the cat of nine tails. Now, that's a, a whip with nine strands. At the end of each strand would be some sharp object, and they would whip the, 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 the criminal, and it would dig into different body parts, and then they would pull back, ripping back uh, the body parts. Um, he had beaten multiple times, and frankly, as I think it was Isaiah said, or a Psalm would say, he could look down, he could see his bones. I think it was Psalm 22. He could look down and see his bones. He goes, they look up and stare upon me. Uh, he had been beaten, the meat had been pulled away. Uh, he had... Generally, this was by itself a form of capital punishment. How Jesus had the physical strength to endure the blood loss and the, and the excruciating pain to be able to carry a cross or even get up to the mountain and then hang on the mountain in, in intense pain through all of this was amazing. Then they would they put a robe on him and uh, they would have him carry the cross. As you know the story, he wasn't able to carry the cross the entire way. The other thing they would do is they would, uh, when they got him up, they made sure, the Bible says, all of his bones were out of joint, whether that means each one was pulled out. Some believe that as they threw the cross in, as he's nailed to it, it would rip his bones out of joint. All we know is in the process, he's hanging there with his bones out of joint. The amount of absolute excruciating pain that he went through you say, why in the world? Now, here's a simple principle, and I'm sure we'll get more details later, but here's a simple principle. Why? Simply this. This is how God views sin. The amount of punishment placed in his son was in comparison to the view that God has of sin. It's not a light thing like we make it today. It is a serious thing that was enough to place this time of immense punishment on Jesus, and the other punishment is hell. Both of those extreme. All right, so we'll, we'll get into more of the detail of what happens at the cross as we move on to this t uh, tomorrow. So I hope you stick with us. Appreciate the time you've given us. Think about this. Can I tell you, we look through this. Uh, there's kind of two results when we look through this in the next couple of, of episodes. We look and say, well, it's no big deal. We've seen this. Easter, we talk about it. We know it. And you can be kind of ho-hum about it, or you can become overly emotional about it. Here's the thing I hope we never lose. I hope we never lose the awe of, of the grace and love of Jesus. That while we live in sin, Christ died for us. And the fact that the majority of the world will deny that, he still did. The fact that he was willing to go and he did not deserve it. To ultimately be separated between him and God. For that period of time where he carries our punishment to offer us a free gift. May we never lose the awe. May we never lose the reverence that he is owed to him as a result 
of what he has done for us. And may it always keep us. And please, I'm not a big fan of where people say, we owe God all these things. We got to go to church. We got to do all this because we owe him. That's not the way. We go because we love him. He gave us a gift. We don't owe him anything. But in reverence for what he's done for us, may we live a life and may we allow him to be the center of that life. May he be the priority, the preeminence, as is said in Colossians. May he be the preeminence of our lives and our lives be revolving around him, not that we schedule our life, schedule God into our life when nothing else is going on, but that life would be scheduled around God because he deserves it, because he is God. Thanks again for joining us today. I do appreciate the privilege of your party today. Hope it's an encouragement. Stick with us as we continue in the last two sections of the life of Christ in Matthew's Gospel.